Well, we're going to keep going in our study of uh, 1 Timothy. So I'd invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy 1. And to begin, I'm just going to read uh, several verses from 1 Timothy. I'm going to start uh, the reading in verse 12, and we'll go through uh, verse 17. Now, as I read, you follow along, and your Bibles are on the screen. And let's give our full attention to this, because it's God's word to us. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fill us with a grace revolution this morning. Unstop deaf ears, uncover blind eyes. Fill our hearts with joy unspeakable and full of glory for the grace shown us through Jesus Christ. What else would capture our imaginations? What else would we give ourselves to in this hour but to explore the wonders of your grace in the gospel? And what else would be our hope for all of eternity? What else would be our song forever and ever but the glorious grace of Jesus Christ? Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray, help the one who speaks. Strengthen my voice, my mind, and my heart. Forgive my sins, they are many. And help all who hear to be washed in the grace that's found in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. 
earlier in the service, Dylan said that it's been 250 years since Amazing Grace was written by a pastor named John Newton. John Newton, before he became a pastor, John Newton was actually in the family business, which sounds okay, except for his family's business, was kidnapping men and women from their country and selling them as slaves. John Newton was a slave trader, but he was gloriously saved by amazing grace. It took John Newton many, many, many years to extricate himself from his family's business, but he did. And not only did he extricate himself personally from his family's business, one of John Newton's disciples, a man named William Wilberforce, was the man that God in his grace chose to use to eradicate, eradicate slavery as an industry within the British Empire. Amazing grace. John Newton, at the end of his life, was asked, what have you learned? In all your years following Jesus, John Newton's response to that question was this, I have learned that I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. I couldn't do any better than that. If you were to ask me, what have you learned in all of your years following Jesus, I would say that what I've learned is that I, too, am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace, amazing grace. A few days ago, we had a funeral here at Good News Church, and the family asked that during the funeral we would sing Amazing Grace, and so we did. But in the midst of, of preparing for the, for the singing, we, we forgot to turn on the PowerPoint projectors, the projectors that you know, would show the, the, uh, the words to the song. And you know what happened? People were able to sing. Because that song, Amazing Grace, had so penetrated our culture, and so many people know the words of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's grace is grace towards people who are ill-deserving of it. We're wretches. We're sinners. We see that in verse 15, don't we? It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the bad news of the gospel. That Jesus came to save sinners that all of us had racked up crime after crime after crime against God and we were all in big trouble. And not only had we broken God's law, we had broken God's heart. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. No amount of our good works could ever work us out of the debt that we owe to God. But Jesus Christ, by his perfect life, 
And then by becoming our substitute on the cross, Jesus Christ saves sinners. And our part is to believe, to turn from our sin and to trust in him as Savior and Lord. And to commit to following him by grace. Have you ever done that? Because I'm praying for all of us that there'd be a grace revolution in our hearts this morning. But if you've never received Christ, that's where it begins. But all of us need grace. Salvation by grace is one of the core beliefs of our church. We believe that a person is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We believe that a person is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. What we're going to learn this morning is that disciple makers, disciple makers model grace. And you say disciple makers, yes, people who are investing and reproducing themselves spiritually in the life of other people model grace. Paul saw himself as a disciple maker. That's why he called Paul, uh, Timothy in verse 2, my true child in the faith. Disciple makers model grace. Now I want to trace grace through the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's go back to the beginning. Paul was originally given the name Saul. He was born probably in A.D. 6 in the city of Tarsus. And he grew up in the home of two Jewish parents. When Paul was uh, grown in A.D. 20, he moved to Jerusalem and from 20 to 30 A.D., he lived in Jerusalem, and he was tutored. He was instructed by Gamaliel, one of the most famous of all the rabbis in Israel at the time that Saul, Saul lived. And Saul lived in Jerusalem from 20 to 30 A.D. and became a Pharisee. From 20 to 30 A.D., do you know who else was living? Jesus Christ. And so many of the events of Jesus' life happened in and around Jerusalem. Not all of them, but many of them. And certainly, the events surrounding his last week would have taken place in Jerusalem while Paul, Saul at the time, was living in Jerusalem. Saul could have been an eyewitness to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Saul could have been an eyewitness to Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin on the night in which he was betrayed and arrested. Saul could have been an eyewitness to his crucifixion. He certainly would have heard of his, the claims regarding his resurrection from the dead. But from A.D. 30 to A.D. 33, Saul was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Despite having possibly have been an eyewitness 
to his life in his last days, and hearing the claims regarding his resurrection, Saul was not a believer in Jesus. In fact, he tells us in this passage that he was a blasphemer against Jesus Christ and a persecutor of the church. In fact, he was a violent aggressor. In the book of Acts, we're told that when Stephen, one of the early martyrs to the Christian faith, was stoned in Jerusalem, that is, they took stones and hurled them at him uh, until he died, Stephen, when he was martyred, we're told in the book of Acts that Saul was there. And they were laying their coats at his feet as they went to stone Stephen. Now, that doesn't mean that Saul was, you know, kind of the servant boy of the group. They were laying their coats at his feet and saying, hey, Saul, take care of these for us while we go take care of this task. No, it means that Saul was likely in charge of this pharisaical group of radical opponents and violent aggressors against the church and he was giving hearty approval to the work of these men who stoned and killed Stephen, one of the first deacons and evangelists of the church. And then in Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus. And he has letters, he has orders from the, from the Jerusalem religious leaders to find, arrest, and bring back to Jerusalem in chains anyone who is a follower of Jesus amongst the Jewish community in Damascus. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if any were found belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul! Saul, why are you persecuting me? The King James says it so much better. Saul, Saul, why per persecutest thou me? Doesn't this just sound better? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Grace, grace saved Saul from continuing in his life of blasphemy, from continuing in his life of persecuting the church, Grace saved Saul. Jesus Christ appears to him on the road to Damascus and he calls, his, calls him by name, Saul, 
Saul. Grace touches the human heart because grace calls out to us by name. Have you heard it? Have you heard the call of God in your heart? That's grace. That's God's ill-deserved favor towards you. Who are you? I am Jesus. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. What does grace do? Grace meets the helpless. Saul, for all his wisdom, for all his knowledge of the law, Saul was brought to a place of utter dependence, utter helplessness, blind, led by the hand, carried by the hand into Damascus. And it was there in Damascus that there was a disciple of, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. What does grace do? Grace turns this man that Ananias was afraid of into one that Ananias is willing to say, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. It's grace. Now, Paul would, Saul would now be known as Paul. And from this point forward, he would immediately begin preaching the good news of the gospel. 
he would start in Damascus and he would preach Christ in Damascus. Then for the next three years, he would be trained by Jesus to make, be and make disciples. And then he would be set apart after a season of preparation as a church planter being sent by the church at Antioch throughout the Roman world preaching the gospel of grace. Now in, in AD in AD 56, Paul wrote one of his letters to the church at Corinth, and in that letter to the church at Corinth in 56 AD, Paul would say this about himself. Verse 9. I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So grace moves into Paul and many years later, from after 33 A.D., when he was converted to 56 A.D., when he writes these letters, Paul still thinks of himself with humility. He says, I am the least of all the apostles. So that's in 56 A.D. Now, a few years later, he would write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter to the church at Ephesus, in uh, 61 AD, in Ephesians 3.8, listen to how Paul describes himself in that letter. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So 56 AD, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles, but I received grace. Now, in 61 AD, he says, I'm the least of all the saints, still grace. Now, in 64 AD, he writes to Timothy, the passage I just read, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So he's converted in 33. He, in 56, says, I am the, chief, I am the last of the apostles, then the least of all the saints, then the chief of sinners. And all, in each of those statements, he's claiming grace as the answer to his need. Grace was grace that taught his heart to fear and grace his fears relieved. Grace moved into the Apostle Paul's life. And as he matured throughout his life from the moment of his conversion until the end, he grew in his awareness of God's holiness he grew in his understanding of how great God's holiness was. 
And as he went through his life, he grew in his awareness of just how sinful he really was. Oh, he knew he was a debtor to grace at the moment of his conversion. But see what grace did in his life? Grace continued to enlarge his understanding of his dependence upon Jesus Christ. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the last of all the saints. I'm the chief of sinners. Grace moved in to Paul's life. Paul became aware of his dependence upon past grace. He needed past grace. Verse 12 I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Saul said, Paul says, I need past grace. I need the grace of God to help me know that all my past sins have been forgiven me. I was a blasphemer. I was a violent aggressor. I was a persecutor of the church. But God's grace has met me, and through the grace of Jesus Christ, all my past sins have been forgiven. Would you like to go to bed tonight knowing that all your past sins have been forgiven? You can. Christian, does it blow you away that Jesus Christ has made it possible for all your past sins to be forgiven? Do you wake up every day and pinch yourself and say, I can't believe it. Grace, amazing grace. I'm forgiven. Past grace. Paul goes on and he talks about present grace. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul's life by grace was a life of service. He gave himself to the work of making disciples who could make disciples. He gave himself to the work of church planting. He gave himself to the work of writing to the churches to strengthen them in their faith. Paul served by grace. And Paul knew himself to be a debtor to grace. Now, I am the foremost of all sinners. I am presently aware that I still need the grace of God. I was past grace. I've been forgiven. I am now a servant, present grace, strengthening him to serve and to help him have an awareness of the present reality of the power of grace to meet his present need for forgiveness and assurance. I am the foremost of all sinners. Present grace. Past grace. Present grace. Future grace. Verse 16, Yet for this reason I found mercy, 
so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Future grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. We will have all of eternity to sing of what? Thank you, God, that you found such a good person as me. No, to sing of the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. It'll never get old. The wonders of amazing grace. Past grace, present grace, future grace, it's all ours through Jesus Christ. What could it do? What could it do in our lives if we began to model grace? What if we became persons of grace? What if we became families of grace? What if we became a church that was full of grace? Many years ago, I was playing golf with my son, and uh, he noticed that at times, at times, I would, you know, lose my temper when the ball didn't do exactly what I wanted it to. He said to me, Dad, I, I notice you sometimes play golf with some of the elders at the church. I said, yeah, I do. And, I said, sometimes, and he said, sometimes you play golf with your boss at the church. I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, do you ever get mad like this when you play golf with them? I said, yeah, sometimes I do. He said, well, aren't you afraid that you'll get in trouble? I said, oh, son, if I was trying to model perfection, then yeah, I might be afraid. But I'm modeling grace. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. And until Jesus takes me home, I will be a sinner. But oh, the amazing grace of Christ. I don't go into the golf round thinking, I mean, I'm going to really show him today what a sinner I am. No, I go into the golf round saying, today I'm going to show him what a great golfer I am. Pretty soon, I'm a debtor to grace. What could it do in our lives, in our homes, in our church, if we began to model grace? We'd be thankful. We'd become a thankful people. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. What would it look like? to be a people who model grace, we would wake up every day and we would say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, who are you going to thank? If you're an atheist, who are you going to thank for the air in your lungs? Who are you going to thank for life in this world? Who are you going to thank? I get to thank Jesus every day. 
I get to wake up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. What would it do in our lives? What would it do in our families? What would it do in our church? If we began to be amazed by grace, we would be thankful. Not only would we be thankful, but we would be joyful. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes to the Galatian Christians, and I love the New Living Translation. It says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. What has happened to all your joy? The Christian life is to be a joyful life. When we live by grace, we wake up every day with joy because we know it's not about us. It's about Jesus. We have joy unspeakable. Has the grace of God moved into your life so that you're beginning to live with a fresh awareness of grace that's making you joyful? Thankful people, a joyful people. What's happened to all your joy? What would it do in our lives? It would make us not only a thankful people and a joyful people, it would make us a humble people. James 4, 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Grace makes us a humble people. Not that we think of less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less. We think of Jesus more. For every look at our sin, we take ten looks at Jesus and we're blown away in a fresh way of the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank him. We're filled with joy over him. We're humbled before him. Now let me teach you one more word. We'd be doxological. Doxological. You know the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise him below. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Dox the doxology. We would be a doxological people. Verse 17. Therefore, that's James 17. Verse 17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, so many hymns. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on thy behalf appears. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So many hymns inspired by amazing grace. That we would be a people 
who are constantly looking for hymns of praise to sing from our hearts of our amazing God, the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, grace. Let's pray. Jesus, oh, how we need your grace. Who are we going to thank? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. What other source of joy are we going to lock our hearts into other than amazing grace? Where else? Where else can we go to hear something that would set us free from our, our amazing capacity to make life all about us, to be truly humbled before you, our maker? What else could we learn but the gospel of grace that would cause us to become a doxological people who praise you both now and forever? Maybe there's some here who, for whatever reason, they sense you're calling them the way you called Saul on that road to Damascus. And they're seeing, for the first time, their sin and their need of a Savior. If that's you, won't you just admit to him, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Won't you believe that when he died, he paid the full and awful penalty your sins deserved? Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as my substitute and rose from the dead. Won't you commit to him as Savior and Lord? Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. What would we do a billion years from now, what will we do? We'll have no less days to sing your praise than when we first begun, Jesus. Help us by your grace to get there. We pray in your name. Amen.